Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. Thank you to Union Club Hotel and Mike Carmen, uh, who is uh, traveling the world covering Purdue basketball, at least traveling uh, to get got home from Maryland and now will be making that long trip from his home to Mackey Arena for tomorrow's game when Purdue takes on Ohio State at one o'clock. A lot of interesting things going on in Purdue world right now. I suppose in some to some people, there's some there's obviously disappointment when you've lost three out of four. Uh, but uh, team still is in a good position. We've been saying that a little bit a little bit of lately, but still there's some things that need to happen, obviously, to, to take the next step. Just give us a, what your assessment was. You know, obviously at the first time this year they've gotten beat soundly uh as they did in the last 16 minutes against maryland but uh, where, where is this team at least as of saturday morning in your view well i think they're they're searching to to play that complete game again i don't think we've seen that since maybe penn state and michigan state where you know the last four games they've had you know a bad half whether yeah. it's turnovers or Thursday against Maryland where they didn't rebound very well. I mean, it's really out of character for this team to only have three offensive rebounds yeah. in, in a game when they lead the, the nation, when they did lead the nation in offensive rebound uh, percentage. Uh, so that was out of, out, out of character to see because they didn't, they didn't shoot the ball well. And when they have yeah. a shot the ball well, they've been able to clean up the offensive uh, glass and get, and get points that way. But they, they took a step in handling the turnovers, but the rebounding was kind of the big difference. And, you know, their defense got disconnected and Maryland scored a bunch of points in the paint. And one thing led to another and it just kind of rolled out of control uh, for them. You know, they're still in a good position to win the Big Ten. You know, you get three of your last four at home. And not that you take that for granted, but as we've seen throughout the Big Ten playing at home is a big advantage as opposed to going into yeah. the environments that they've had to go into. Uh, and, but, you know, there's some individual players that need to pick it up to have some better games. I think, I think it's important for Purdue to put some things together here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I still think they're going to win the big 10 by multiple games uh, in part because of teams playing each other below them, that they're just going to beat each other up. Uh, but I, I think they need to kind of get, back on track as they head to the Big Ten tournament and then the NCAA tournament just to have a good feel about where they're at and, uh, you know, and what they could do in March. What do you make of it? And I always say I watched your interviews uh, from the locker room or post game after uh, Maryland uh, and after Northwestern. Just the body language. I mean, you've been you've been doing this a long time, and lost a lot of a lot of athletes over the years. It's just been kind of interesting. Brady Smith, very may, somewhat somewhat matter of fact of hey, it was one game. We're moving on. Zach Eady is kind of a little different. At least it seems very somewhat, to, and and rightfully so because he seems like he's still getting a hectic out of him from time to time. But uh, almost to the point of. Uh, doesn't have much to say and or anger. Do you see any of that? Is that is that just a, do you see resolve? Is it, I know it's hard to tell in a, in a five minute interview after a game, but what do you see from a body language standpoint from this team just on what you saw after the Maryland game? Well, first of all, they're not happy when they lose. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really not happy when they have to talk to people like me. <laughs> I, would, I would be upset, too, if I had to talk to talk to me after a loss. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the individual. I think Braden's just taken the the point that's one game. Uh, there's no need to, to push a panic button. Uh, Purdue will be okay, and that's that's good to see from a a point guard, a leader on the on the court. Yeah. He has kind of 
developed into a leader. Um, so they're just trying to get that message out that it's, you know, it's all positive. Don't, don't worry about the negative and just kind of move on. I think Zach is just, um, you know, he, he, he is a bit frustrated. You know, yeah. he don't say anything to, to get himself in trouble or get Purdue in trouble, but he's clearly frustrated by the lack of calls and the, the physical play um, that, that goes on with him. You know, he had, he has marks on his arm from the Northwestern <laughs> that they didn't call. Um, and he, you know, he, but he, but he has to battle through that and he has to, um, you know, he has to, to, to rise above it and, you know, yeah. and, and, and get the job done. But um, I, I don't read too much into it other than if someone's trying to send a message or, you know, something like that, you know, Mason Gillis obviously stepped forward um, and, you know, talked about the technical and how important that was. And that's, that's great leadership on his party as a captain and, you know, kudos to him for, for coming out and, and discussing that uh, knowing it was a, a huge play uh, in the game, but yeah, you just, you're trying to ask them a question that would at least elicit some sort of response, whether it's emotional or stoic or whatever it is, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and, it, and it's hard. Brain's not a, Brain doesn't give long answers to anything, even after, no, he doesn't. after they win. So he's pretty consistent. You know, Zach's a little bit more uh, upbeat and uh, engaged when they win. Uh, so, yeah, I, again, I don't, I don't, I don't try not to, I try not to read too much into it because of yeah. the circumstances and what they're being asked to do in the heat of the moment. Um, and for some of these guys, it's, it's brand new, you know, even though Zach's been playing basketball for six years, you know, all this is new. This is really, he's soaking out all of it in and trying how to trying to handle it all in the best possible way. You know, it's funny because I, I, I enjoyed your uh, post uh, final thoughts comment about the fact that this is a program that at least carts out its players when they lose. And uh, uh, we're not going to make any more comment than that. But that I think is actually a good thing with Matt Painter. Uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad and in your face with what you have and, and, Shut the noise out and go play. I mean, uh, there are there are plenty of people in the fan base that have uh, that are beginning to at least stand on the edge of jumping off the bandwagon, which I think is a form of uh, silliness, at least at this point. But that's the way it is, and I think it's going to be a matter of the focus just, of this I just, team. I yep. just add one thing, and I, and I think you know when you lose three out of four, you you know people start to question, okay, is this this team you know breaking apart a little bit you know what's going on I, you know i think what mason gillis did shows that this team is still connected together yeah. now defensively the other night they had some breakdowns but they're they're connected together in their locker room they understand you know what's going on they're not going to you know do anything dramatic at this point but that something like that shows the rest of the team that here's a guy that stepped up as accountable for what happened. He took responsibility. And I think that even grows your team closer together, knowing that they have each other's back, even, even during this rough time that they're going through that when they get to the other side of this, they're, they're going to be in a better place if they can be in a better place. And I think this team is in a pretty good place when you just talk about the locker room dynamics and everything like that. Oh, the beauty of 36 hours of reflection here. I mean, I mean, and, and a reasonable voice, and, and you always bring that. I appreciate that. One of the things you've you've been a part of all these court stormings over the last two years. Purdue will set a Guinness Book of World Record to, on that. But 
I'm just interested in your perspective. You've watched him, and I'm not being critical of fan bases necessarily. It just seems so silly, not the court storming, but the fact that you have to cart a team off a couple minutes before the end of a game and or a couple seconds after before the end of the game. What did you see in that? And do you see any solution? I mean, you know, I understand you want student participation and fan excitement and all that when you're number one or number three or whatever Purdue was. That's a big deal. Uh, and maybe the thing that stops it, I think Purdue's only stormed a court at home once that I can remember dating back to Robbie Hummel uh, and against Wisconsin. It's harder at Purdue because they got to jump a ledge. They got to jump a ledge. I get it. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I just think it's kind of an interesting, uh, it's not a phenomenon. It goes on everywhere. But is there any solution to some of this stuff or should we just let it happen and, and sit back and enjoy it if, if you're a, a college basketball fan? Well, you can you can take all the precautionary measures you want, but if a stampede of five thousand students want to <laughs> on the floor, they're going to get on the floor. So yeah. I, I don't know if you can actually stop it. It's you know it can be good for the sport because of the excitement it creates. You know, it's a huge huge compliment to Purdue. Yeah, happened so much because they've been highly ranked. Um, you know, this is how they view their program that when you beat the number one, number three, whatever their, their number is, that it, it warrants a, 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 uh, a wave of humanity coming down on the court uh, from yeah, the, yeah, from no the doubt. side. And so you take it as a compliment. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not bad for the sport. You just, you don't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. And I, you know, I think in the past, whether it's been Purdue or somebody else, when they, they get a feeling that it's coming, that and the game's out of hand, and it's over that I, I've seen teams kind of get their players off the court as fast as possible. Just, and that's a smart thing to do. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think that's a, I, I don't even know if that was discussed before the game amongst painter and everybody. It's like, well, if we, if this game gets out of hand, they're going to storm the court. We're going to leave early. I, I don't know if that happened. Or yeah. It's yeah. like a heat of the moment thing. It's like, Hey, let's get these guys out of here before, you know, Maryland's a kind of a rough crowd anyway, to begin yeah. with. And the fact that they got their got those guys, you know, off the floor, uh, away from that before it happened, I think was uh, uh, was a huge positive. You know, the only thing that might be able to happen is that you have more security, not for the for the fans, but for the visiting team. Just yeah. having enough people around them to make sure that they get off safely. And if they have to go a different direction, then they go a different direction. If you have to bypass shaking hands, whatever you have to do to to make sure those players and that's the staff are taken care of. I, I would be in favor of that, but you know, I think it's, it's okay for the sport to have that. I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. Uh, creates excitement gives TV a big, big angle. To <laughs> the visual see yeah. the humanity in it, you know, gives the schools that do it, you know, the, the picture of a lifetime that they can hang, you know, somewhere to see the, that sea of humanity on the court. So it's all good. And as you said, it, Purdue, it's really hard to storm the court because there's only a couple of ways <laughs> to get down there without, you know, really risking severe injury. And I think that's more of a, more of an issue than anything, but, you know, you know if Purdue's one or two or three in the country, they're not going to have the opportunity to storm the court because teams yeah. are, it's not going to be highly ranked, but yeah. I think, I think it's good. It's not, I don't think it's anything that needs to change other than some subtle safety uh, situations. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, Post Northwestern, I guess it was Mason Gillis got a little right. bit of. A, it, they talked about a pinball situation where they got kind of locked in there. You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard, hard. and that, that game was still kind of a little bit in doubt. Oh so yeah, didn't want to 
you didn't want to take your team off, but you know, and that's a, that's a very, you know, small, small gym, small arena. And, you know, the, it, the students come at you from both sides because they're in the, they're in both end zones. So it's kind of hard to get out of there. And fortunately for Purdue, nobody got hurt in that situation. Lastly, we'll talk a little bit about Ohio State. The Buckeyes, uh, since they're, they were ranked 24th when they played Purdue back on the 5th of January, and of course, it took a, a Fletcher lawyer jumper at the buzzer, kind of the same play of the Michigan State win, except that Edie passed it out to him and, and lawyer hit it. Uh, the world has changed for Ohio State uh, so much so that I think they they got to, they they on their way home from Iowa another game where they got beat soundly they've been beat soundly in the last two games beaten beaten by Michigan State and then of course uh, at home and then going to Iowa and then they made their trip back to West Lafayette actually I think practice at Westside High School yesterday. Uh, this is a team that's got some talent, though. I mean, and and, and can and certainly can cause some problems if you're not careful. Purdue certainly Bryce Sensabaugh and others. Uh, do you see uh, what do you see from them tomorrow? Chris Holtman's under a, a fair amount of uh, angst. I mean, I don't know if it's long term angst, but uh, certainly for this year. But do you see a game that uh, is dangerous for Purdue tomorrow? I think it's going to be a much different game because if you remember, you know, Zed Key left that game four minutes right. into it with a shoulder injury and didn't return. And he was their best option to defend Zach Eady. Now he's back playing, assuming he can stay on the court for you know, a full game, then, you know, he, he gives them their best chance to, to try to slow down Edie, but they are very talented in the backcourt. Um, they, they have bigger guards uh, as most teams in the big 10 do. So they're going to try to, you know, disrupt Smith and lawyer as much as they can. Uh, since the ball had 21 points in the first game, you know, Ethan Morton will be on him, but it, this, this appears to be a team that if you can get up on them early, then you you should be able to control things. They don't they don't appear to have a lot of fight in them when they get behind. Right. Yeah. And if Purdue can deliver a knockout punch or two, similar to what they did against Iowa and then Penn State at home, then I you know then I think that they'll be in 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 good shape. But if you let this team hang around because they are talented, I mean they're they're hungry for a win. They're eager for a win. They need. They need something to get them going. They're trying to get out of the first day of the Big Ten tournament. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know either. From a mathematical situation, but I, I do know they can't get out of it if they don't win games. So they, <laughs> they've got to, they've got to, they've got, and this would be a marquee win for them in a, in a bad season. You know, if somehow, some way they could climb to 500, uh, maybe they get an NIT bid out of this whole thing and, and save a little bit of their season, but that would have to start Sunday against Purdue. So to me that Purdue has to get off to a really good start. They have to kind of take the will out of Ohio state early. And then, and then I think, I think they will be fine from there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because in, in game one and you're right, key was out. He, he only had 11, only had 11 shots and 16 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, but uh, you're right about uh, Ohio State certainly has enough talent to cause some cause some gnashing of teeth in Mackey Arena if they, that game. Is, I agree with you 100. percent If that game, is, if Purdue doesn't establish itself early, which it's done a, a fair amount this year at home, uh, certainly played well in the first half against Michigan State, Penn State, uh, Iowa, uh, on down the line, and and even Maryland, and yet. Uh, uh, it'll be an interesting, uh, not Iowa, but uh, Maryland, and then that would be a situation where 
uh, may, may make for a, a, a an easier afternoon for Purdue on Sunday afternoon. Mike, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate your coverage and uh, what you're doing has been terrific. We appreciate that as well. We'll be back. We'll kind of cut our Saturday simulcast up. Tom Deanhart will join us uh, for our next segment real quick. We'll talk. It's not real quick, but we'll talk some Purdue football and recruiting and Ryan Walters, all things that Mike Carmen knows a lot about as well. But uh, we'll get the band. We'll get the band together probably next week. Who knows? We might have Brian Newbert on. With us as well. Uh, but uh, we appreciate that. Mike, thanks again. Thank you. Saturday simulcast, February 18th edition with uh, Tom Deanhart. Uh, I'm Alan Carpet, goldenblack.com. Thank the Union Club Hotel uh, also for their sponsorship of our Saturday conversation. As I always say with Tom, our best conversations the ones we don't when we don't start the recorder. We're just talking about stuff, but that's that's the fun of this. But Tom, uh, your day job is a good one, and you do a great job with the, covering football and Ryan Walters, et cetera. You got a chance to talk to a couple coaches this week. I know it was a group Zoom, and that that has some limitations, but you get, you're at the age where you get impressions from guys. Just tell me what you thought to thought of the two guys you got to talk with this week, just your overall impressions of what you're seeing from these young coaches that are now on Purdue staff. Back in January, I did get a little confab with Graham Harrell. Yeah. I talked to Kevin Kane too. So kind of was able to give people a little glimpse then. And now they're starting these Zooms, Alan. And we talked to uh, talk to Kevin Kane again, the defensive coordinator. Good guy uh, and um, good background. He's a Kansas guy. Played for Mark Mangino. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's interesting. But the guy we talked to first was Corey Patterson. Right, Corey. Corey, uh, I've known Corey for a few years. Corey came like Kevin Kane. They both came from Illinois with Ryan Walters. Uh, Corey was Corey was actually at Illinois before Ryan got there. Corey was hired by Lovey Smith, and he initially was the tight ends coach there. And then when Brett Bielema took over, Brett retained Corey Patterson and had Corey coaching running backs. Uh, Corey's from St. Louis. He was a high school coach in St. Louis for Trinity Catholic, which was a small Catholic school that he made into a superpower, Allen. Uh, to the point where, <laughs> to the point where schools would just forfeit games. <laughs> well, playing they're that good, they were afraid they get hurt. So uh, anyway, then Corey got hired and uh, up to Champagne, and he brought a couple players, of course, with him. Right, uh, <laughs> and he coached in high school, and uh, so he's a, he's a, he's a very engaging guy, as you would imagine. Excited to be in West Lafayette. He's coaching receivers for Purdue. So, well, this will be his third different position. He's coached at the collegiate level. And coaching the receivers at Purdue in this offense, obviously, is a big responsibility. He talked about that. We all know about the offense, the air raid principles. Uh, it's going to be rooted, obviously, around the quarterback and throwing the ball out, but it's not going to necessarily be a, an offense that throws 80 passes a game. But still, we all know it's going to be pass-centric, so you got to have good receivers. So it's going to be fun watching Corey sort through these receivers, Alan. There's 13 on scholarship. <laughs> by my count and of course you got a pretty good walk on and andrew sowinski too yeah and uh is there a number one receiver alan Karpik? yeah i don't know yeah. charlie Jones is gone we all know that right 
So I'll be interested to see once they get through spring, if they shop the portal, if they think they can upgrade and get an elite receiver. I don't know. So that's going to be fun to watch that position evolve. Uh, Brock Thompson, TJ Sheffield, Mershon Rice, Abdur Rahman, you're seeing Deion Burks. A lot of those names we're all familiar with are back. So we'll see if anybody's made progress and how this group looks here in, in March. And, and then again, getting back to Kevin Kane, um, they like their defense, Alan. Sort of a creation that they came up with in Champagne, And uh, five-man front, nose guard, two wins, and two outside linebackers. They like that five-man front. They could be a 5-1, what, a 5-1-4. Uh, again, it's going to be a defense that can morph. And it wants to try to be deceptive in the back end and give you one look pre-snap and then change once the ball is snapped on the back end. And, uh, you know, up front, uh, the way Kevin Kane describes it, Al, is, is that they, they want to they look complex, show you a lot of different things. Um, but still, when, when, when you get down to the heart of the defense, he says it's simple. It's easy to learn, and that allows guys to play fast, you know, avoid the paralysis by analysis. So uh, they're pretty uh, confident in their scheme. Now it's going to be, again, for, for the defense, is figuring out the personnel and who fits where, Alan. Interesting on, uh, you know, you get a sense for guys. You've been around this business a long time. In terms of recruiting, and I'm not just talking about high school recruiting, but obviously transfer portal recruiting, just about those those kinds of personalities for at least the two you met. How do they fit into that mode, and what do you think their role will be uh, uh Obviously, all every assistant coach has got a lot of responsibility when it comes to recruiting. But uh, just what's your impression there from that their ability to uh, talk their way to talent and, and bring them to West Lafayette, whether it be portal guys or high school guys? Yeah, big. Obviously, we know the key. You gotta you can't just be an X's and O's guys. You gotta, you gotta yeah. be recruiting. Kevin Kane talked about that. You know, uh, he's been a defensive coordinator at SMU, and he's also worked at Northern Illinois as the DC. And he's and of course he was at Illinois, right? So he talked right. about a lot of connections he already has in the state of Illinois. So he's been in Illinois a lot already. We saw that in January. Talked about Chicago, Allen. Of course, you and I both know Purdue's history in Chicago. They've, they've gotten some great players out of there over the years. The need to get back in Chicago. And, and Ken, Kevin Kane is one of those guys that's taken Purdue's message to Chicago. And Kevin Kane is, I said, a Kansas guy, Kansas City guy in particular. We've even seen him way in western Kansas, or I should say western Missouri, eastern Kansas, offering guys in January, too. So Purdue's really extended its footprint to that part of America because of Kevin Kane's connections there. Same with, um, you know, Corey Patterson. I talked about St. Louis. Corey's obviously hitting the city. He knows. You go to where you know the coaches, right? Yeah. And uh, Corey's been in St. Louis. They actually got a kid. They signed in, um, what, February from the right. area. Uh, uh, and the wide receiver. So, um, so yeah, they're, uh, you know, again, St. Louis has been an area. It's the, only, the last coach from Purdue that actually hit St. Louis was Joe Tiller. And he got Joe Odom from Bethalto, Illinois, which is right across the river. And uh, he got the quarterback with Drew Brees, uh, uh, that same class who didn't pan out again from like Hazelwood Central. I can't remember his name. But anyway, uh, it's an area. Jim Mitchell, right? Was Jim that Mitchell, Jim Mitchell? Yeah, it's a Jim Mitchell, yeah. And so anyway, so they're, they're, they're kind of 
everybody's got their areas and, that, and, that, and that, that's what those two guys bring to the table as well. So I'm sure they're hitting some other areas of the country too. So yeah, recruiting never stops, Alan. You know, 24-7, every day of the year, you got to do something for recruiting. You got to cultivate it. To that end, not to get too deep in the weeds, but um, they've got another big recruiting weekend coming up. Right. March 4th and 5th. Now, right now, it's a dead period, Alan. Uh, the only communication can be digitally. And uh, in March, you start to get what they call a quiet period where guys can now come to your campus. And that's what you're going to start seeing in March, then that weekend in, in early March. Then guys can come watch you practice spring football, too. So that's sort of the next phase. Uh, as far as the recruiting goes, a bunch of offers are out there right now. They have their one commitment. The kid from Franklin Central, Derry Hines, is a good, good cornerback, I think. So I've been talking to some of these kids. I talked to a big offensive tackle from Valparaiso today. And, um, yeah, we'll see. You know, it's really early, right? Um, but, again, they're, they're, I get the sense, obviously, they're doing all they can to try to cultivate talent and, and continue to develop relationships. Do you think that the uh, and you're right, it is early, and obviously that weekend of March 5th, maybe they can shovel them over to the Purdue basketball place to has a big game against Illinois that day. You know, who knows where the where the Boilermakers will be at that day, but they like to combine those events, obviously. But what do you think that is it is it a big challenge? What identity are they trying to sell? I mean, you've got a you've got the air raid offense, you've got a defensive young hip coach, all that kind of stuff. I mean. Uh, do you get a sense yet of what that, you know, what, what's he, what is he really selling? Is he selling the, a chance to be a part of a, 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 a young no holes barred type of program? Uh, or is it just way too early to tell exactly what that, what that calling card is for this, this program? We're talking to some of the guys, they, 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 they like just the general vibe they get from the staff, uh, the youthful vibe, I think, which is what we all expected. Right. I think these yeah. guys connect pretty well. Um, with the uh, high school kids, um, I think we talked at one point, I figured out the average age of the staff is about 38 years old. Yeah. Head coach just turned 36. You know, Kevin Kane just turned 39. and, and He just then, turned 37, right? He was 36. He just turned 37, right? Is that right for Walters? I know Walters was born in 1986, whatever that math yeah. is. Yeah, and he just turned 37. Yep. Okay, but yeah, they uh, they only have a couple guys over 40, I think. Uh, Corey <laughs> Pat is over 40 and Lamar Kennard's over 40. And Rick Haley, the defensive line coach, is the old man now, and he's 56. So, yeah, I think that that's a sense I get talking to the players. I think they like that. Total, total 180 from what was what Purdue had before. I'm, I'm not knocking Brom on what they had. Just a, different, just a different vibe and a different tenor, they said. And there's a lot of different ways to be successful. And, and, and this group, you know, has got a, has really changed, I think, the uh, the vibe in that in that building over there. So, um it's competitive to get the good players. You all know that, Alan. And it'll be interesting to see if, if maybe the relationship building that these guys appear to have, if that can really pay some dividends here. And uh, and, and we see Purdue maybe get some some more blue-chip talent, if you will, here in, in the next year or two. All right, spring ball. You talked about this week. March the 22nd is when it tips off. Is that right? Uh, that Tuesday. Um, and... We still don't know the we still don't know the uh, the spring game uh, final is. And I, do I have that date right? It's the spring game is April twenty second. Well, it's the spring, spring ball starts March twenty first, Alan. Yeah, right. It's and Tuesday, then, yeah. and that's the week after spring break. Spring game is going to be April twenty second, Alan. Right. And um, 
Everything I'm told is going to be in Indianapolis. Now the site is still TBD. Yeah. Uh, from from what I, the signals I get, Alan, are they want it to be at some college or high school. They want it to be in a high school in the Indianapolis area. Some of the college venues, though, like University of Indianapolis, I heard maybe the Butler Bowl, but I think a place like Carmel High School, something a place of that ilk, um, could be where we see this game played. Uh, maybe we'll find out here shortly, Alan. But again, um, I think they kind of like taking this, this show on the road, you know. We all know Ross it can't be used right now. That's why they're doing this. So having this thing in Indianapolis, I think um, it's kind of a fresh approach. And and uh, also, Alan, they're not sure if it's going to be an actual game. Yeah. It's going to be a practice, too. I was told that. They're not sure yet. So that, that depends on what your roster looks like, if you can field two teams. We've seen teams have to get creative for their spring game before. So – it doesn't really matter. People just want to see you out there running some plays. And, hey, Alan, spring football is a great – everybody's unbeaten. Everybody's possibilities are endless. It's a great – there's nothing like the offseason, Alan. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you go through the summer, everybody gets excited. The magazines come out. You're flipping through the magazines. You're looking at schedules. You're getting excited. looking at depth charts. You're trying to pick games. You're going to win and lose. Offseason sometimes is as much fun as – sometimes more fun, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> It's more well, fun. All the roster moves, even that. And, and oh, roster that, moves, all oh, everything. You know, coaching moves. Hypotheticals galore. It's a lot of fun. So so that's what's going on with football. Yeah, the spring game, recruiting. Like I said, I, I, I put together a list of like 10 top Indiana guys. Uh, I think Purdue's trying to hone in on. And, um, yeah, like I said, uh, the staff is complete. They've been adding these, uh, these uh, analysts here of late as well. Bringing in some GAs, uh, by and large, um, it's all systems go so far, and it's it's just going to be you know it's going to be a lot of fun. September second, Allen Fresno State is the home game, and uh, those renovations, Mike Bobinski said, we'll be ready to go. Yeah, I, I talked about that last week. Maybe the one thing is that the food dining facility, Allen, can take not, another year. Right? Yeah, it's not going to open till the summer of 24 where I think before it was January of 24. So that's getting kicked yeah. back about six months and that's going to be a su- supply chain issue there. And not to keep unloading info on you, but again, um, maybe we talked about the contract last week too for Ryan Walters yeah. a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Last I checked the assistants still haven't signed their contracts, but I'm told Alan three assistants have three-year deals Everybody else is on a two-year contract. The assistants with a three-year deal are Corey Patterson, who also has an associate head coach title. Right. Associate head coach slash receivers coach. And, of course, you got your two coordinators, Graham Harrell, Kevin Kane. Now, who's never given out a three-year contract to assistant coaches in football? I know but I know Jeff Brom never had coaches with three-year contracts. I'm also told, so told too, um, that Graham Harrell, by the time he hits the third year of his contract, we're making a million dollars. Did you ever think you, you, see, you ever think you see that, Alan Carpet? No. <laughs> God, I can remember when they were making 150000 and Joe Tiller was Joe Tiller was struggling with that notion. And uh, uh, our it's friend common. Brock, our, our friend Brock Spackard just uh, roll his eyes in this deal. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Walters, Ryan Walters making a million dollars in Illinois. Yeah. So, so Purdue, Purdue, honestly, yeah, Purdue's probably one of the last Big Ten schools. They're not there yet to have a million-dollar coordinator. I, I, w- I would think every other Big Ten school has With had. Maybe, a, maybe Indiana. Maybe Indiana uh, has, yeah, but Northwestern too. 
I think the schools out east all have, of course, the Michigan schools. But anyway, it's it's the going rate, you know. Uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent about the value of football. People like to shake their fist and think they could cut their spending, but football's what pays the bills, Alan Carpet. Yeah. And people, I don't know, again, I don't want to get off on a tangent. So anyway, I I just think it's a sign that of Purdue's continued investment in football. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. And uh, I had a chance to talk to new president Mung Chang on that, and he did not do anything to, to make you feel like they weren't going to be committed to trying to do what it takes uh, to get things done. And they know yeah, they have to. Last year, 2023 is going to be probably our last year for divisions too, Alan. Yeah. 2024 is going to be a, a, a watershed year in college football. The playoff goes to 12 teams. The Big Ten brings in USC and UCLA. The SEC brings in Oklahoma and Texas. Again, probably just single division football. It's going to be, we've got one more year of this, and then it really is going to change up in 2024. There's nothing nothing official from the Big Ten about ditching divisions, but that's sort of what everybody seems to be pointing towards. They're probably going to eliminate this east-west configuration and just have one big division here. Yeah, always a lot to talk about and uh, interesting, even an interesting roster mood. Jared Parker, who's yeah. a good friend of ours uh, and a guy that was a great guy and was, of course, Purdue's uh, interim head coach after the firing of Daryl Hazel, gets the uh, the defensive court or excuse me, offensive coordinator position at Notre Dame for Marcus Freeman's staff. Another yeah. again, and Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, is getting criticism for not, you know, they they obviously had opportunity. There, there was a lot of talk about uh, uh, other def- offensive coordinators in the in the fold, and uh, Jared ends up getting the opportunity. So it's an interesting world out there, my friend, and uh, it, uh, there's no nothing ever staying the same in the world of college sports. Andy so, Ludwig, they want to hire Andy Ludwig. Andy, right, paraded, paraded Andy around, uh, didn't want to pay his buyout. Money. And I guess Notre Dame's because you know Notre Dame's got a reputation. They don't they don't they don't throw their money around, Alan. No, and you know, and, and Brian Kelly leaves, and and I, I don't know all the deal, but it, that had something to do with it. And I think that they feel like it, it's just funny that on any level, any level, whether you're on Purdue's level, Notre Dame's level, whatever level that is, uh, with a with a very very few exceptions. Uh, there are some that just aren't quite getting everything they need or they don't think they do. Coaches never think that way. Sometimes fans don't. And uh, Notre Dame, as great as that, the history of that program, the most uh, the most famous uh, program in the history of college football, arguably. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. But I love, Jared. I love Jared. Jared's a great guy. And uh, we hope uh, uh, hope that he does well there, just because he's a he's a good dude, and, and Marcus well, the same way. So no question. Yeah, Marcus, right, great we, guy. yeah, super great nice. guy, and uh, they got a, they got a big job ahead of him, and as does Ryan Walters, and that's just going to be fun to watch. And the two will go head to head, right in twenty twenty four. Yeah, keep waiting. That, is that when is that when it picks back up again? Twenty four. Right, I think if that all stays on the schedule, which I'm assuming it will. I missed those, uh, miss those games, Alan Carpet. That was yeah. You know, when you when you had it every year, you sort of took it for granted, right? You didn't yeah. realize how special. I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Oh yeah, that's how special it was to play Notre Dame every year. People people killed to do that. And Purdue was able to do that for what fifty years? Nineteen forty-seven to twenty thirteen. So that's, that's a sixty. Cool. I mean. That's 66 yeah. years in a row, right? And as you know, it, they have, say, the benefit of Purdue more than Notre Dame, and that was ended up being probably the probably the ending of the deal. But but yeah. 
you know, they if when when if the Irish come to Ross Aid next year, which is anticipated, it'll be the first time since uh, Daryl Hazel's first year in 2013 when since kidding? Notre Dame has been to West Lafayette. And I remember the last game, not the last game, the last game before two years before the 21 season. Oh. Obviously, it was the game in Indianapolis in 2014, right? So and then they played uh, Purdue played up there in 2021. I went up there, right? But yeah, yeah, they haven't yeah. played in Ross Aid. Well, that, that game in Indy was also a Notre Dame home game, though. Right. Well, they kind of had it. They kind of had some funky way to get out of the. You know, that was kind of a. Uh, I, I can't remember the whole deal with the. And Morgan Burke was definitely involved with that of trying to get that worked out because Notre Dame wanted out. Uh, oh, really? Uh, because if it's commitment to, as I understand it, commitment to their obviously the ACC, they had five games yeah. they had to deal with and. And yeah. uh, that's that's how it worked out. So well, I, I agree with you. It's it is a big part of a producer. Got some history. good memories. Got some. Good you could memories. argue. You could argue, and some people don't like it when you say this, but really, Purdue football got put on the map because it beat Notre Dame in the 1950s, in 1950, 1954, both years Notre Dame number one and Purdue. Uh, legends were made, not only Dale Samuels, but Len Dawson. And then, of course, Bob Greasy, Mike Phipps. Uh, those were those. Mark Herman, Jim Everett. That's right. Jack Greasy beat him, too. Remember that, remember that story, Alan, too? Neil, that was how Neil Armstrong heard about Purdue, wasn't it? Right, because he saw him on the newsreels. How that story goes, or a newsreel. Right, when Purdue beat Notre Dame on October 7th, 1950. And he happened to be watching a newsreel in Western Ohio and said, that Purdue sounds like an interesting place. And, and of course, Neil graduated. Purdue's most famous alum outside of Alan Karpik. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. You get better check the transcript. Make sure I do. Make sure I graduated. I did. I think so. At least I don't know. I always. That's one of my reoccurring dreams. Like, wait, did I really? Did I miss a class? And I, my degree's not done. I got two of them. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm. I think I'm not even on the short list there when it comes. I wouldn't to even. Stuff. I wouldn't even. They wouldn't even look at my application, <laughs> Alan. Yeah, that's true. Me too. <laughs> All right, my friend. We'll uh, we'll uh, we're gonna have a little bit more talks and basketball as well. Are we? I think the way this is gonna be pieced together, we may have already talked basketball with Mike Carmen. Uh, obviously, Purdue will have a big game on Sunday against Ohio State. Try to get that ship uh, righted, and then obviously Indiana comes calling, and what will be a a Donnybrook, I think, in Mackey Arena on mm. the twenty fifth. So it'll be a it'll be a classic. So that that is certainly shaping up to that. So all right, Tom, thanks so much. Thank the Union Club Hotel, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, more of our Saturday conversation. It's uh, just that a conversation, and uh, we'll look forward to doing that here uh, next week. Take care, all.